0: For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Borough purchase at borough.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at borough.com slash ACAST.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting point. Uh, e-bikes have uh, facilitated more and more people to get out on uh, mountain bikes into the countryside. So, I think we're going to be seeing different uh, pressures on land use to what we were before.
2: Hello, and welcome to this week's Single Track World podcast. And this week it's a bit of a special edition because I'm joined by the new project manager for the UK Trails project, who is Dave Evans. Hi, Dave.
1: Good morning, Hannah. Thank you very much for inviting me on to talk to you uh, so early in this project. It's uh, very exciting.
2: Yeah, well, hopefully it is. It seems like a great opportunity for mountain bikers in the UK. And for those that uh, maybe haven't been reading the front page of our website, because uh, I mean, I just don't know why you wouldn't do that. Would you like to give us a bit of an overview of what the UK Trails Project actually is?
1: Yes, certainly. Uh, The UK Trails Project is a three-year project to look at the landscape of what people are actually riding across the UK. And we're going to look at that on a very sort of macroscopic level, though almost on a postcode level. Where people, and we're inviting people to tell us about their trails, what they ride, where they ride it, and to highlight the success stories that have come out of um, their areas. That could include um, whether the trails have produced, uh, people who have gone on to be uh, athletes on the World State, or that it means a lot to them because they get out in the evening with their friends from their doorstep. And the key thing we're looking to do with this project is to pull out those success stories and also those barriers to success, to look at how people have tried to manage those trails and keep them sustainable, and we can take those messages and um, move forward to help people across the UK. But what makes this project different to things that have gone before it is that we're also sitting down with landowners. So we've got uh, a number of landowners on the project steering group, who we are asking questions of across the UK to see what they have uh, found with mountain biking, what have been the benefits to them, and what have been the barriers to progress, be it through the constraints that they have to impose through their forest operations or other areas, such as treble uh, size, protecting the landscape, and so on and so forth.
2: Okay, I think you've been in the job about eight days at this point. Let's Let's fast forward three years. What are you hoping there will be in this world at the end of three years that isn't there now?
1: Three years is a long time in the project. So the project going to be driven by the report we are writing in the first phase uh, between now and June next year, which is called Right Trail, Right Place, Right Time, Right People. So that report will tell the story of what riders are riding, how they have tried to manage um, their trails, And also tell the story from the landowner's point of view to what is a success and what is a constraint. So we're going to be able to pull out a nationwide picture of what people are riding, how they're doing it, and also where people are finding trouble and difficulty. And we're also going to ask the landowner the same question. So I imagine we're going to see a number of issues coming out from the rider's side and perhaps a number of issues coming out from the landowner's side. And when we sit down and put those together, we'll suddenly see, hang on a moment, there's commonality here and we can then sit down okay. for the ways to work forwards. Now, those ways forwards may be existing around the country in, um, in little hotspots. So we're really keen to tell the story and listen to people who've got success stories to tell us and then take those forwards as case studies so we can share the best practice and um, get those examples out across the country, but also on the desk of the landowners who, because of the regionalization of a lot of their work, they may not know that there's a way forward, but this being used in another region. So um, three years is a long time. But at the end of that, it would be nice to see some kind of toolbox, some kind of uh, list of resources that uh, landowners are happy with and riders can dip into to help move their management of their local trails forward.
2: OK, so you're not, you're not setting out at this point in time what those tools might look like, you're going out first of all to consult with riders uh, and, and see what their issues are and see what the landowners issues are and then hopefully from that you'll, you'll say ah we need these tools. That's what the project is, uh, what is the project not? Because uh, I think the first thing that springs to everyone's mind is well just let us ride on the trails that are already there.
1: Well, um, the trails that already are there will form a backbone of this project. Um, the trails that are already there have, by and large, uh, existed for uh, donkey's years. But there's been an explosion in rider-built trails on the urban fringes during the COVID pandemic. So there's a huge amount of infrastructure that riders have built. And if was, as riders have built it, I think it's reasonable to say that's what riders want to ride. So we're going to be looking at that infrastructure and what management models can be applied to that to make that into a sustainable uh, resource. And I'd also expect to see regional variations. So some areas may have a lot more bridleways and rights of way where people are looking to gain greater access. I imagine that will pop up and I imagine um, better access and better ways to facilitate riders building what they want in the largest state forest will also pop up. It's too early to say that yet. And that's why we're going on a national nationwide approach. Um, using a geo-survey technique so we can see what the patterns are and where different types of work will be necessary.
2: Okay, so you're not kind of making uh, the legislative kind of right-to-roam stuff, uh, right-to-ride-on-footpaths. That's not your primary focus here. You're more about the trails that are built for mountain biking on. Is that right?
1: That's where I s- expect to see the largest amount of uh, replies coming from. Right away is a well-recognised uh, issue and Cycling UK has said they're going to make that their uh, one of their leading factors that they're campaigning for. Uh, I don't see any point in duplicating effort where we have very capable people working on that sector. And also my background is working in both the land management side and as a director of a trail um, association on rider-built trails. So that's where my area of expertise lies. So I'm keen to provide as much expertise as I can from my knowledge background.
2: Okay. So the, the first stage of this consultation, first stage, is a tour of the country. You're going to have actual meetings. What you're saying is that these initial meetings are so that when you send the digital online questionnaire out to everybody, you're actually asking the right questions and it's structured in the right way and you don't just get a load of responses going well this didn't ask the question that I wanted to answer kind of thing. There's a few questions on my story about why are you meeting in the places that you're meeting. So have those locations been chosen because they give you a particular spread of types of riding or types of known issue or landscape or population? How, how did you decide where you're going?
1: We're looking to get a sort of snapshot of, around the country of urban, suburban, rural riding. And we're also looking to hit as many people as we possibly can to workshop those questions with. Um, I would absolutely love to spend four months travelling the country carrying on with these workshops, but it's going into two months already and there simply isn't the time and resource for me to go and workshop with everybody. So that's why we're going to be putting the uh, questionnaire out online and then that way, it will be available to everybody to complete. We will also be running online workshops, though so, sorry to those who we've not been able to get around, but you're very welcome to join us on an online workshop, which will be announced uh, shortly. And uh, we'll go through the same process with you there.
2: That sounds really useful because I can imagine that riders will have Different experiences and different problems, depending on whether they're dealing with forestry, England, or a national park, or lots of farmland. Um, like they'll have very different kind of conflicts of use and that kind of stuff.
1: Very much so, and again, that brings us back to why we're doing this as a geographical uh, project. Once we get that into a geographical database, we can start pulling out maps, we can start color coding issues, and then we can look at the patterns that are building up across the UK and. Uh, that will tell us where we need to speak to landowners, where we need to um, perhaps bring in experts on, uh, or people who are already advocating for greater access. And we can look at what direction this particular project is going to take once we've seen that, uh, what the issues are on a region-by-region basis.
2: Okay, and what about those people who are a bit nervous about telling people where their trails are? Because, uh, again... I can see that landowners might take a little bit of a, well, if we don't officially know about it, we can kind of ignore it. But if it starts being reported on a piece of paper, then um, maybe they feel like they need to do something about it.
1: Yes, I can completely share uh, riders' concerns about sharing uh, trails that they may not wish yeah. to share. But we're looking very much at the UK on drawing a circle around your postcode level. I'm not interested in every line. I'm not interested in every dot in the forest. So, But if writers want to tell us that in postcode SY20, for instance, I like to ride from the house, I go along a bridleway, across a bit of farmland, and I go through some trails in the woods that I'm not sure about the origin of, then that's absolutely fine. We're not going to be giving away anybody's secrets there. And if people are uncomfortable in putting even postcode level of data, and I'm only talking the first part of the postcode, then they can set county level. So we can be as obscure as people feel comfortable with, But we can also zoom in where people are more comfortable in telling us a good story or highlighting a specific issue. So it's up to the rider. Tell us as much or as little as you want and be as discreet or as specific as you want.
2: Okay. Now, this is not the first time that there has been a questionnaire or a survey about what riders want. And in particular, there was a big one done in 2016 by the now defunct Open MTB um, and Cycling UK. So... Why do we need another survey now?
1: Right, this one is very different to the previous survey because it captures not just what riders want, but what riders have done. So, the, I think the landscape of mountain biking has changed significantly since 2016, particularly in terms of rider build trails on the urban fringes that was brought about by the COVID lockdowns. And we're asking people to tell their story. You know, what's going on in your woods? We're talking about the wood, not the rider. We're talking about the community, not the individual. And we're capturing what people are actually doing, what they've been doing for the last eight years. What does this look like? What are your success stories and what are your barriers to progress? And once we see those successes, we can highlight and those barriers that we can summarise. We can set down with the landowners, look at the story from their point of view, which again is new to this survey, and hopefully find some pathways forward. The Cycling UK survey was very interesting because it seems that... Um, Seventy-nine percent of people enjoy riding single tracks. Sixty-three percent enjoy technical trails, and forestry commission land was the most common riding venue highlighted at that time. And also, this was back in 2016. Two-thirds of people were riding from the door, um, and 42 percent would say they want to try. They'd have to drive over an hour to get to a trail center. I think there's going to be an upshift in people riding from the door recently, particularly due to there being a greater a range. And also, increased in in travel costs that may make driving the bike in the car less desirable. Um, Most interestingly, even in 2016, most people surveyed, about a third, said they'd like to get involved in trail building. Well, lockdown gave them the opportunity to do that. And uh, now we can look at the results and see what they actually got out and did.
2: Mm. Okay. So, this survey might actually build on some of that previous data and show us some trends as well, rather than giving us a snapshot.
1: very much so you can always every time you you take a survey it's it's always interesting to cast back and look at previous surveys to see where the trends are going what that's pointing towards uh, for the shape of the sport and scene and again we will be asking people what do you see as being missing from your local trail offering where do you think we need to go next and you know it it will guide the future and it's always interesting to see what people indicated as being what they want actually emerges. So it'll be interesting to look back at um, what people have say they have done in this survey compared with what people said they wanted in 2016 and see if the two things are actually the same.
2: And another big development I think since 2016 is that e-bikes have become much more commonplace since then. Uh, so are you envisaging any particular trends or issues around e-bikes or do they bring anything to the access party that's different?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting point. Uh, E-bikes have uh, facilitated more and more people to get out on uh, mountain bikes into the countryside. So I think we're going to be seeing different uh, pressures on land use to what we were before. And I think we're going to be seeing a different pattern of riding to what we were seeing before. Um, because peak riders may be more uh, concerned by their range anxiety and wishing to stay closer to um, a central point it will be interesting for them to tell their story Uh, I'm not sure how that's going to fit in the landscape yet and uh, we will try and capture it
2: okay Um, and you have previously in in your past life uh, or the or possibly the the life that has led you to the where you are now um, you've written about how wild trails can inform trail centre design in the future. I think that's quite interesting. So since you're here, would you like to just sort of summarise what you were kind of saying was your theory?
1: So for those who don't know me, I uh, formerly ran Bike Chorus. That was a guiding company that uh, transitioned into a lot of consultancy work on wild trails during the lockdown periods. Whilst I was surveying the, the wild trails, I noticed that most of the wild trail uh, hotspots were built around what you could call a ski piece model. Now that is a track up the middle, which uh, may be a gentle forest track or a blooming speak fire break in the areas where e-bikes were more popular, going to the top of the hill. And from the top of the hill, several trails um, branched off and ran down the hill, crossing the fire rows at multiple points. So this gave the opportunity for groups of riders to ride together and choose t- trails of different technicalities for each run down the hill and it meant groups of multiple abilities could ride together and someone would say oh I'm going to go and try the harder one. "Oh, I don't fancy that tonight I'll- who wants to come down the easier one with me so it brought together a lot more people so back with my guiding hat on particularly when running youth sessions I found this model especially good for uh, developing younger and less experienced riders because you could go up the hill warm up on a more gentle trail, back up the hill, put down something a little bit more technical, uh, and so on and so forth. So it works uh, a lot better with that kind of group developing their ability than the traditional trail sample model, which is very linear. You have to do your 10, 20, 30 kilometer route and it's not always possible to loop back and, and repeat a section of Signal Effect and you enjoy it.
2: And you've got no idea where you are on half of these places. Like, you keep pedaling and you're like, I am in a forest of conifers. They all look the same. I have no idea which way is back to base. Like, I've had enough at this point and I've still got to keep following the red dots, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's um, having, uh, just having the, all the trails in the centre shown on the same map would be an enormously easy and successful way to start because riders can then mix it up a bit rather than just doing a route, which is prescribed to them, they can go and explore. And people like that kind of feel of exploration. They like the sort of discussion, well, we've tried that, let's try this one, let's go that one. And it's handing back a lot of the sort of responsibility and decision-making to the rider, which uh, I've certainly found they enjoy. Uh, So I think there's a a good uh, opportunity for our existing trail centres to have a look at that model and think about how they might want to rejig things, move things around a bit, and particularly at the lower technical grade, where riders still enjoy that sort of hand-holding of a sign, hand-holding of a map, and they certainly need a, you know, a good cafe and a play area. Is a, is a godsend if you're going there with kids. Mm-hmm. So I think trail centres could be perhaps reimagined to uh, offer those stepping stones for riders coming up through the sport um, with, with the comfort of a map, the comfort of a, of a cafe and a nice car park, and sort of be used to to build up their confidence uh, and and their sort of exploration skills.
2: Yeah, so you you don't have to commit to the 35 mile loop of whatever, you can just know that this trail is going to be of this sort of grade and you can either do another lap of it or you can go and pick another one that's the same colour, but you don't have to disappear off into the wild for a day.
1: Precisely. um... If you look at the forestry descriptions of what a red trail is, it says it's for an advanced mountain biker with a good level of fitness. And straight away, you've got two barriers of entry to the sport there. And uh, if they could be rearranged, so you're looking for bringing um, riders onto the tracks in a, in a more uh, gradual way where they can do as little or as much as they feel like, I think that would allow people to build up at their own pace and develop their skills in a more comfortable and friendly environment.
2: Mm, kind of separating the fitness from the skills because some of the red trails are only hard because they go on for miles rather than because they've got huge drops in or big rocks or whatever isn't it
1: precisely the older system tended to uh increase the the grade uh in in accordance with distance whereas uh, there may not have been that much more technicality in Hmm. uh, the actual terrain
2: now of course trail centers are one of those key resources for people that don't necessarily have trails on their doorstep and they've got no choice but to get in the car or on the train or whatever and get out there to a trail center so often a trail center is the first experience that somebody has of mountain biking um so your survey so far sounds like it's more about people who are already riding and know what they want will you be trying to capture those people who are kind of Frustrated mountain bikers. You know, maybe they they'd quite like to mountain bike some more, but they don't really know where to start.
1: Yes, we'd love to uh, get the survey out as widely as possible to uh, capture those people who maybe um, let's say, for example, may cycle to the work. They may be going along a towpath or whatever, and thinking, actually, you know, I'd like to do a bit more of this type of thing, but I don't know where to start. So, uh, or I've seen these people riding the woods. It all looks a bit hard for me. I'd love to find something a bit more at my level. So, yes, we're getting that survey out nationwide and across uh, as many audiences as we can. There's as wide a sharing as possible. We'd like to capture that market and see where the gap in resource is. Um, I would imagine um, a lot of the trails that riders have built have been built by the keenest and therefore most experienced riders. So they're probably going to be quite top-heavy in terms of technical ability. But I can imagine also that the type of trail that a lot of people want to ride may sit a little bit below that in terms of technicality so more people can enjoy riding without uh, having to be at the very very top end of uh, the ability scale again we're getting that survey out there as far as we can we can uh, see what people are telling us
2: and i guess one of the things you might discover from this is where the riding deserts are as well i mean you might expect Uh, central London or Birmingham to be a mountain biking desert but we have got this growth in urban mountain biking kind of golf courses turned into mountain bike opportunities so uh, just because it's a city doesn't mean that you can't have some kind of mountain biking.
1: That's an area that absolutely fascinates me because I live in one of the uh, sparsest areas of population in the UK where people come to every weekend to come mountain biking and i will absolutely love to know what people are doing in the inner cities uh, on the urban fringes and what projects are have been happening there and to hear those success stories so we can again get that message out Uh, we looked at a project in switzerland uh, not so long ago where exactly an old football pitch had been turned into a bike facility and they managed to incorporate everything from a small kids pump track to massive jumps for skills jump riders and sort of flow trails through the middle of it. It's amazing what you can do with a small piece of land. Uh, So I'd love to capture those um, so we can pull those out case studies and uh, see what has been done.
2: Sure. Okay. So uh, if people that are listening to this uh, know kids or kids that dig or that kind of uh, young group that probably isn't quite as likely to turn up to a meeting about trails or a workshop about trails or fill in a questionnaire. I think you'd quite like to hear from those people as well, wouldn't you?
1: Very much so. The kids are the future of the sport. Um, The uh, uptake and the ability that we've seen around here through the youth programs that uh, we've run over the past three years have been absolutely astonishing. And I think that's the case across the UK. So we are going to be reaching out to the younger audience when the, the survey goes online through uh, a number of influence and contacts that uh, Scottish Cycling has with social medias. And I'd also ask adults who are coming along to have a think, you know, think about not just what you're riding, what's going on, think about what the kids are riding. You may have teenagers who ride with you. You may have uh, teenagers of your own. Ask them before you come along, even if they're not going to be up for a meeting that's lengthy. Um, it would be lovely to try and capture some of their thoughts uh, in the process as well.
2: Okay, well, we've talked a lot about riders. Uh, what about the landowners? You're going to have some meetings with them. Um, so what kind of landowners are you going to be talking to?
1: So we're reaching out to a wide range of landowners. We're starting with the big forest landowners, um, Forestry Land Scotland, Forestry England, and uh, Natural Resources as they make up a significant proportion of the land within the UK. We're also reaching out to um, smaller and less known landowners, such as utility companies, councils, and we're looking also towards the National Trust, Woodland Trust, and uh, private estates. Uh, Private estates could range from anything from uh, a small farmer who's got 20 acres on the edge of a town to uh, larger estates going across the country um My colleagues in the Aberdeenshire region of Scottish Cycling met with Balmoral Estates Office last week and had a positive response from them. so we will be inviting people from from all levels from the smallest forest to the uh, to the king to the table to uh, see what they think.
2: Well, if the king's on board, you'd hope that all the other landed gentry might be uh, prepared to follow suit. You know, surely that's how it works, this structure.
1: We've all seen the video of uh, the, the king having a, a nice chat with some riders on his estate. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I do hope that the other gentry will take his uh, example and he leads forward. But there we go. We're, we're, we're up for discussion with them. And we want to learn more. We're here to listen. We're not here to campaign. We want to know what are their boundaries you know there will be set hard limits for how they expect people to behave while on their land they also have their primary industry uh, you know, a tree is a crop at the end of the day and they have to work with and tend and harvest so we are going there with a very much a listening hat on to say what are your constraints what are your concerns and then also what of your you know, success stories be and uh, how can having mountain bikers on your land be a positive benefit to you And how can we fit in around your constraints uh, and your processes? So we have mutual benefit for both parties.
2: Now on that, one of the uh, kind of obvious frustrations that mountain bikers and trail associations are having at the moment is that Forestry England is one organisation with apparently very different approaches to wild trails, depending on where you are in the country you see that as being something that you might be able to uh, standardise hopefully to the benefit of riders rather than the worst possible outcome.
1: I would love to see um, the standardisation of process uh, across uh, regions with large uh, landowners such as um, Forestry England and NRW. The story of um, we have got so far with a large landowner and then face the barrier to progress through changing people, changing opinion or whatever, I think is going to be a very common uh, theme coming out of this uh, research. And by sitting down at the table with the right people in those organisations, I hope that we can find simple and replicable pathways through their systems so that the huge number of hours that volunteers are putting in in the mountain bike sector can actually complete and go through the whole system to have a, a positive outcome rather than getting so far and then hitting a stumbling block or being at the mercy of of changing policy and and changing personnel. So I think that's a crucial part. So we're really wanting to hear, and especially I hate to say this, some of your negative stories and what have, if you've put in a lot of effort and you said, oh, no, we've got this far, then it all stops. That's the crucial things we need to hear, because once we build up those patterns of how far did you get, why did it stop, what was the barrier there? We're going to be able to take that away and sit down with the landowners and say, right, well, what's happening here? How can we get that through?
2: Okay, so there are some obvious um, good examples of trail building guidance in Scotland, thanks to Dimbins. And the stuff there that I think any trail builder can see is sensible, like not crossing footpaths and bridleways at high speed with blind entries and that kind of thing. Do you envisage there being similar sort of... Uh, memorandums of understanding guidance for landowners like don't send your subcontractors to trash the trail that we've agreed can be there and that kind of thing
1: I would um, love to see trails um, go into work plans with the appropriate level of uh, protection applied to them Um, but there's also going to have to be a sort of understanding between the mountain bike community and the landowners that not every trail can be saved. And uh, in some cases, it might be down to the mountain bike community to accept that you could have X number of trails in a particular woodland. But some of those trails, if they're in an area of forest that's due for harvesting in a few years, it might be better to say, right, we're going to work on these trails to an end of life program. And if they've been ridden so much, they're rutted and washed out, you know, it'd be better to say, okay, that one goes. But Flipping it the other way around, where you've got regions of forest that are going into long-term management, we can focus our efforts, focus our volunteer hours into making some trails in that area that really can stand the test of time and hopefully be there for future generations. But again, it's getting around the table with those landowners and understanding their constraints and uh, that we can understand where it's sensible to put in um, the the bulk of volunteer time and where we accept that some things come, some things go.
2: Right. Okay, but predominantly the toolkit will be aimed at riders and how to interact with a landowner, rather than it being a how landowners should approach mountain biking on their land. Is that what you think? Um,
1: it, it's going to work both ways. So, um, right. and I think the toolkit memorandum of understanding, the uh, advice, or whatever we call that, as the project output. Um would contain a sort of a a list of resources for both mountain bike groups to dip into and apply to reduce the amount of effort they're putting in and also a, a sort of use list of suggestions for a landowner who's coming to the table saying if we're going to do this much work in your favor we expect a certain sort of behaviors coming back that will vary and i think yeah Getting that across the table is uh will still vary region on region, job by job. It depends how jobs are priced, depends how jobs are managed. It depends uh on so many, many things in, for example, forestry that I'm not fully aware of yet. But again, sitting down will get that out of people and be able to understand their constraints a little more fully.
2: Yeah, I think just having landowners be able, one landowner be able to see that another landowner has accepted a certain level of activity or risk and found that to be, you know, not threatening to their very existence will be quite useful, particularly when it's a big landowner or someone with commonalities like local authorities, for example. Um, It kind of removes it from that individual officers like decision to a more collective like oh that's that's cool we, we can be we can be fine with this
1: yes i certainly hope that when we collect out the case studies from um landowners examples of best practice i hope this report will reassure landowners who may be um thinking in the earlier days of health and safety where they fear that they're responsible for absolutely everything that goes on their land to absolutely everybody and by showing them examples of how other landowners have either delegated that risk or managed to manage it in a, in a proactive way, then we can set out those examples as good case studies for other landowners to follow. And I hope that would, would reassure them that uh, they can accept these things going on and it will keep them up at night.
2: Okay. So we've got the first part happening, which is the workshops in person, which are from now through till early January. Correct. You said there's going to be some online workshops as well? When are
1: they? They're going to be mid-January as well. So there'll be a number of online workshops. You'll be able to reserve a space on those through Eventbrite. Uh, They'll be announced in the forthcoming weeks. Um, And then after we've done those workshops, that will shape the style and the questions in the online survey. And I hope to see that going live by late January.
2: Okay, and then presumably there's going to be some kind of analysis of those results. And then from those, are you going to look at the case studies and put those out there with the analysis, or are you going to put the analysis out and then go and get the case studies?
1: Um, it's all going to come out together. So we're looking to produce a far-reaching report. Um, it will come out in about 20, 30-page document, and that will be produced by Napier University, who have the facilities and the academic ability to sit down and analyse a UK-wide study. The report will look at things we've highlighted from the writer's point of view. We'll look at patterns both on a national and regional scale, and we'll summarise what, what uh, is going on across the country. We'll also do the same from a landowner's point of view. So if you are if you can imagine a, a map of the UK with different regions, with different sort of coloured blobs in it, that'll show us where we're having the same issues across the country. And also it'll show us where issues are more regionalised. And again, we'll pull out um, lists of commonalities of constraints, concerns from the landowners. And then the report will also include case studies where these constraints have been met, these concerns have been met, and riders have got a good result from it that's been to the benefit of the riding community and the landowner and that's going to come out all together as one uh, report and there's also going to be press releases at a sort of lower um, less complex level so people can enjoy reading them and uh, hopefully it will be inspiring to the community moving forwards. Provisionally that's cancelled in for June next year.
2: Okay well in that case I shall book you in for another podcast around then I reckon you can tell us all about
1: it i hope to have a lovely report for you to read and some really good shiny examples of uh how people have got things going and got things moving for their local area
2: great and so then that should set the, the the agenda for the next phase which will be some kind of toolkit development yep
1: precisely again we'll see what the report tells us see where it's going to be going and we'll also see as we can bring in other other partners. So if um, certain areas are highlighting, um, again, the, the access issue, looking at footpaths, bridleways and so on, Scottish Cycling has good contacts with other partners in the industry. And we can sit down with them and say, hey, you know, what are you doing with this? What are you doing with that? And it'll shape as to who's doing what moving forward. So we can focus our expertise on uh, the elements of the report. We feel best placed to uh, move forward. And we can provide the information that uh, people have given us to other bodies within the, the cycling community um, to, to give them more information to help their work as well.
2: Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, and I'll probably speak to you at some point before June, I imagine, because I should definitely get myself to a workshop at least. So.
1: <laughs> thank you very much for the invitation. And I look forward to uh, seeing you with you at the workshop and uh, telling you more in the future.
2: Okay. Thank you. Bye.
1: Thank you very much. Bye for now.